Okay, welcome to the church that worships at Bethel. And it's fascinating to me that there are fellow brothers and sisters, thousands, millions, worshiping around the world right now because of Jesus Christ. If you're new here, we simply want to say thank you to everyone who's watching online. And this is the way that we're going to say thank you. Again, we don't sell used car warranties or anything like that. We're going to simply say thank you by clapping and giving glory to the Lord. So let's thank God for them. And again, as we see every week, I met a new family that showed up early today. And I know they were new because they showed up early. I said, you're obviously not from Bethel. Um, so praise God that he is in God's infinite glory. He sends us people every Sunday that we can encourage and love and pray for and support. So we do conclude today's um, series in the book of Revelation. So for you who have been following with us any length of time, again, we started in Revelation 1 and we're going to end in the, the Revelation 22. The first five chapters of Revelation are answering the same question, right? It's answering the question, who is worthy to open the scroll and to release these judgments upon the world and only one is worthy. And John doesn't see a, a cheetah or a lion, he sees a lamb as though slain. But this lamb was different, boys and girls. This lamb was not dead, this lamb was standing. Because Jesus Christ rose from the grave in three days. And then chapter 6, something changes, and John sees all these judgments, and he's asking this question through the word, who is worthy, who can last, who can stand in the judgment of the Lord? And the biblical answer is no one can. Not even Satan himself can. Because God casts Satan into hell where he belongs. Not even death is worthy to stand in the judgment of God because death is thrown into the lake of fire also. And only those who have robes dipped in the blood of Jesus Christ can stand through the judgment seat of the Lord. But now something changes at the end of the book of Revelation. As we close this book and really close the entire Bible, we have a shift in tone and genre. Maybe you are expecting another seal or a trumpet or a bowl. But we see none of that, do we, in these last two chapters? Scholars would call this shift, and they call this new tone, a, an, an epistle, which is simply a pastoral letter to a church, like, like the epistle to the Galatians, or Ephesians, or Timothy. You see, something happens at the end of Revelation, and it's John's way of looking at the church and saying, this is for you to grow spiritually today. John refocuses our hearts and our minds on the most important aspect of all of Scripture, and that is the Lamb of Jesus Christ. So if you don't hear anything else I ever say, I want you to hear this. What is Revelation about? It is about the Lord Jesus Christ. And John changes his tone to point us back to this pastoral heart of all of Scripture. So we're going to look at Jesus one more time in the book of Revelation. I'm going to read verses 6 and 7, and then we're going to pray as we begin to look at the rest of the passage together. 
Revelation chapter 22, beginning in verse 6. Then he said to me, these words are faithful and true. The Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. Look, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Let me pray. Father, we want to be people who are blessed by you. Lord, whether we have had a difficult week or a beautiful week, broken week or healing week, Father, we all need your blessing. And Father, blessed is the one who keeps the commandments of your holy word. So Father, we ask that today you would make us not hearers only, but would you illuminate our hearts and our minds to be doers of your word. Lord, this is our hope and our prayer. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen and amen. Well, the sermon title today is called, Are We, Are you, we There Yet? Are We There Yet? Maybe this short phrase for the parent sends shivers up your spine. Maybe if you're a sibling, it makes you want to slap someone when you hear it. Because most of us have been on a road trip before. You're, you're not at home, but you're not yet to the destination. And a still, small voice comes from the back. Are we there yet? No. No, Bobby. We're not there yet. And that answer suffices for five minutes. And then again, a still, small voice from the back. Maybe it's a minivan, a Ford Aerostar. Anyone remember that? It was a box on wheels, like a, like a Pinewood Derby box. And again, are we there yet? No, we're not there yet. Three minutes later. Hey, are we there yet? And this time they answer from the front of the van, no, we're not, obviously we're not there yet. Some of you have lived that life, haven't you? You see, that question, though, is asked by someone who's... They know they're not home, but they know they haven't arrived yet. It's, it's the question from someone who, who is expectant. They're excited. They, they want to be where they should be going, but they lack the information. They know they will arrive soon... But they simply don't know how much longer. This is asked for someone. They, they know they're near, but they're not sure how close. This is the question answered by Revelation 22. Is John answering to the Christian, are we there yet? Is Christ coming? When will that happen? And five times... In this chapter, verse 6, 7, 12, and 20, John uses the word soon. Jesus is coming soon. Are we there yet? Look, verse 7, I am coming soon. Well, are we now there yet? Soon. 
God, when will, when will Jesus come back? Verse 10. His time is near. I think this is a question that the Holy Spirit bursts in the heart of everyone who has surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ. This is a question, gospel immediacy. Are we there yet? It's a question of an expectant heart, isn't it? It's like the child or maybe the adult going and walking to the Christmas tree and looking at their present. My mom tells this story. She, she listens on Monday, I think, so she's going to correct me if I get it wrong. But when I was young, she said, all that I wanted for Christmas was a Smurf bus. <laughs> Don't judge me. If, you're, if you think your present was better, email me, jburnham at bethelnet.com. We will compare. But one day my mom walked by the tree and she said, there was a hole in the presents. Not just any presents. It was the Smurf bus presents. And she said, curious enough, that Smurf bus present had a hole about the size of a three-year-old's index finger. Because I couldn't wait to see what that was. I believe that this is the hope for the Christian for Jesus to return. Right? We're saying, God, when? He says, soon. God, how soon? It's near. God, how about now? I believe God wants us to have gospel immediacy in our hearts. We, we should long for that day. And the Father's answer is quite straightforward. Jesus is coming soon because His time is near. And I love what prophecy in Daniel says. In Daniel chapter 8, the Lord tells Daniel, He says, this, this is what must happen after these things take place. For Daniel, the prophecy of the end is future. But for John, it's present. It's now. It is soon. So let me ask you, Christian, are you living with immediacy? Are you living with the reminder that Jesus will return soon? And I believe that our heart should even want that more today than we did yesterday. So if you're a Christian, are you ready for that day? Are you ready for Christ to return? How long? I don't know, but I do know it's soon. Is He near? I don't know how close, but I know it's near. And so we simply ask, God, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Because we should not have to wait too long for that day. Revelation creates in us a gospel immediacy. And listen, if you're here today and, and you dread that day, you think, I don't want Jesus Christ to come. Maybe that's a spiritual conviction that you are not a Christian. That you are not ready. And if you are not ready for the return of Christ, you are here today because God is inviting you to know and experience His love through the blood of the Lamb. That if you confess your sin and you would repent and turn to Him, you can be saved. And you can say today, God, I am ready. Come quickly. Verse 8. Gospel immediacy. Now we see gospel identity. Gospel identity. Verse 8. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I saw and heard them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had shown them to me. 
But the angel said to me, don't do that. I am a fellow servant with you. Your brothers, the prophets, and those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. What a fascinating exchange, don't you think? Angels are glorious. Yet John is commanded not to worship at this feet. Can you, can you imagine the heavenly freak out moment from the angel? Thinking, don't worship me. I am not worthy. Or maybe he was saying, John, get your act together. You know better. Only Jesus, the lamb, is worthy to be worshipped. But even more fascinating than that is the explanation. He says, don't do this because why? Verse 9. I am a fellow servant. But the angel doesn't stop there. He says, I am a fellow servant with you, John. And your brothers, the prophets. right? Daniel and Micah and Nahum and Habakkuk. <laughs> you know, those prophets... But it doesn't stop there. Look at what the angel says. And for all those who keep the words of this book. What book? The word of God. Revelation. So listen church. If you have given your life to Christ and you are walking in obedience, the angel is talking about you. I think this is the angel's way of saying, listen, when you give your life to Jesus Christ, you are one of us. You don't become an angel when you die. We are fellow servants and heirs. And so the angel is reminding John, he's saying, don't forget your identity when you come to Christ. You are a co-heir with Christ. You are a child of the king. You are a fellow servant created to know the Lord and glorify him forever. So Revelation reminds us by faith, never forget whose you are. I love that that reminder is embedded within this closing benediction and revelation. One day maybe we get to see that angel. And we we get to say, angel, I'm thankful. We don't know his name. But to say, I'm thankful that you reminded me of whose I am. That you're not worthy to be worshipped, but Jesus is. And that we are fellow servants of the Lord. That is gospel identity. Verse 10. Now we see gospel invitation. Gospel invitation. So gospel immediacy, gospel identity, and now this invitation. Then he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book. Because the time is near. Are we there yet? We're near. We're near. Let the filthy still be filthy. Let the righteous go on in righteousness. Let the holy still be holy. Look, I am coming soon. Each person according to his work will be rewarded. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right for the tree of life and may enter the city by the gates. Outside of the dogs... Sorcerers, 
sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to attest to these things to you for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. Both the spirit and the bride say, come. Let anyone who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who desires to take the water of life as a gift from the Lord. The words of this invitation come as a most unexpected and shocking as, as any words in the book of the Bible. John says, let the filthy keep being filthy. Let the righteous go on and being righteous. Now this is what John is not saying. John is not saying, for the sinner, keep on sinning. doesn't matter. No, John is reminding us of the hardness of our hearts. John is saying, listen, if I have given you the word of God and if Jesus has died on the cross and you are still unwilling to repent, what more can we do? Jesus has given you everything you need for eternal life. This is what sin does to you. Filthiness is not talking about those who have not washed their hair. It's a ceremonial word. Saying that this is what sin does to you. It makes you not worthy to worship. You are ceremonially unclean. The word dogs here is a reminder of that too. Dogs were not ancient pets in the ancient world. It wasn't like Fluffy was on the outside of the street having to find a milk bone. Dogs were were sometimes vicious pack animals. These were animals that they didn't care what they had to do. They only wanted to fill their stomachs today. And John says, this is exactly what sin sin does in your life. You're only concerned about your physical well-being in the moment. You see, life without Jesus is a person with an insatiable appetite and a craving for more and more and for worldly security. John is saying, here's the invitation, do not remain in your filthiness. Jesus can wash you. And he will wash you. Even worse, what does he say about the dogs? And those who are filthy. He says that they remain outside the city gates. In verse 14. Now that's curious for for many reasons. Primarily it's curious because we know in chapter 21 that the city gates are not closed. So for anyone to remain outside of the new Jerusalem is because they have no desire to enter in. John is not saying, God, lock the gate. You can't enter even if you want. He says, they choose to remain on the outside. Because this is the, this is the offer, an invitation to Jesus Christ. It is freely given to all who believe Romans 1.25 reiterates what John has just said. He says, as a result, people are without excuse. For they 
knew God, but they did not glorify Him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became worthless, and their senseless hearts were darkened. Do not let sin keep you outside of the kingdom and the city of God. Repent of your sin and find forgiveness. Find forgiveness. This is the invitation to come. You don't have to stay outside. You don't have to stay filthy. But John actually mentions something else. He gives three lists in the final two chapters. And each list ends with the same person or same person type. The Christian Standard Bible says it this way. Everyone who loves and practices falsehood will be left on the outside. Now, that's curious for many reasons. We might just say, well, ah, John is saying don't be a liar. But this word is also used in the book of Revelation as a reminder for those who say they follow Jesus and do not practice what they say. Really, it's, it's the reminder that these are false Christians. John is speaking to the church. And he's saying, don't stay in your sinful stubbornness. He's saying, yes, you look okay on the outside. But inside, you are a whitewashed tomb. You are dead. And some of you have not come to faith because maybe you were baptized as a child. And you think, if I were to give my life to Jesus now, what would people think? You know what Christians would think about you? They would say, thank you, Lord, that you saved another one. They would say, thank you that they didn't wait. They did not tarry. Welcome to the city. Do not let pride keep you from the kingdom. Do not let false self-righteousness. Do not be a liar or a person living in falsehood. Now there's a term called the unsaved Christian. That's who they are speaking. Those who would confess Christ with their mouth, but do not live like a Jesus follower. To you, John says, come, find abundant life when you confess your sins and follow Jesus. Counter to these transgressions and transgressors, we have a three-part gospel invitation. Jesus here is called the root of David in verse 16. I don't know if you caught that. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to attest these things. I am the root, the descendant of David, and the bright morning star. It's interesting that the Bible doesn't call David the root here. Jesus is the root because it is in Jesus that Israel has eternal life. And it is in Jesus that you have eternal life. The church is not the root. Jesus is the root. And then it says he is the light. Curious enough, this is the only time in the New Testament that that Jesus is called the bright morning star. And to all of this, the church has a unique response. Verse 17, this is the invitation. Both the spirit and the bride, that's the church, say, come. The invitation is the cry of the redeemed. In verse 20, it sounds like this. Maranatha in Aramaic. It means the Lord come. Maybe. Maranatha means the Lord has come. 
Meaning the Lord has already come. It is, he is God in flesh. Or maybe the church is saying, Maranatha, Lord, come quick. I think Maranatha is this prayer. Lord, you have come and you are coming again. Come quickly to us. And church, through the gospel, the Spirit invites the bride of Christ to shout, Maranatha, Lord, come quickly. This is the church's answer to the good news. It doesn't get better than that. God gave his son for you. There's a second invitation, not only the spirit and the bride, but we see here, let anyone who hears say, come. This is the power of worship. Because we know that revelation and the word of God is to be read out loud in public gathering. You see, the church, when they said Maranatha, when the church says come and worship, we are acknowledging two things. We are saying that we accept our role as the bride of Christ. And we're also saying, Jesus, you are the only one who is worthy to judge the world and the Roman Empire. You are the judge of our sins. And, Lord, we believe and we trust in your sovereignty. Whether you know it or not, when you worship Jesus Christ, you reiterate your public confession every time that you gather. So if you sang joy to the world and you meant it, you are publicly confessing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. It wasn't just joy to some world. It was saying, God, joy to my world. The Lord has come. Maranatha. May we receive our King. Church, public worship does something when we gather. This is the joy. Because you practice in worship. What is to be lived out in our lives. We practice when we gather. What is to be lived out when we live sent. So to all who gather today. May we say come. There's a third invitation. The spirit and the bride say come. Let anyone who hears say. Come. And let anyone who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life come as a gift. This is the third and final invitation here. It's the invitation for, for who are thirsty. This is the invitation for the sinner. You see, water is the water of life. And, and did you see how the water is taken? John doesn't say, go down to the supermarket... And go buy the bottle. And then you can drink. He doesn't say church. Go dig a well. And if you dig hard enough. And if you dig deep enough. You'll find water. What does John say about this water? Let the one who desires. Take the water of life as what? As a gift. The water of salvation is taken freely. Because Jesus died for you. 
If you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, you might not even know this song. But there's a song that sums up salvation. It sounds like this. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunge beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. Lose all their guilty stains. Lose all their guilty stains. And sinners and the thirsty come. Lose all their guilty stains. I'm struck by that hymn several ways. It's a reminder that when we come to Christ, we don't lose some of our stains, we lose them all. And we don't drink from a trickle. There is a fountain filled with blood. Let sinners plunge beneath the flood. You don't have enough sin in your life to extinguish the flood of grace. What a joy that is. If you've never given your life to Christ, the invitation today is to come and drink of the water that is free. Because God sent His only Son wrapped in swaddling clothes, born in a manger, who lived a sinless life, who died on the cross, that one day your sin might be removed because Jesus took your place on the cross. Sinners plunged. Beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. If that's the invitation, lastly, John reminds us of it, being people of gospel integrity. Look at verse 18. Gospel integrity. I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues that were written in this book. If you don't think that's bad, go back and read Revelation. Let me just encourage you, you don't want the plagues in this book. If anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share of the tree of life and the holy city, which are written about in this book. He who testifies about these things says, Maranatha, yes, Lord, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with everyone. Amen. In the ancient world, transmission of books was at the mercy of those who copied. And John is reminding people, for those who find the Bible difficult or even unattractive, do not take away or add to the Word of God. This is not simply a blessing and a curse for the book of Revelation. This is a reminder for all of the Bible that to take away or to add is to take away from the very holy commands of God Himself. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, I would never do that. I would never change the Word of God. But John is speaking more than simply words on a page. John is asking us to go deeper as people who have thirsted and had refreshment from the flood of living water. You see, because if you confess Jesus as Lord and live as if His Word has no value in your life, 
you are adding or subtracting from the Word of God. John is reminding us, if you have given your life to Christ, his, his life is yours. We never have the right again to say, God, you can't tell me what to do. Because to submit your life to Jesus is to say, God, from this day forward, you have every right to tell me what to do. Not because you're a domineering, uncaring father. But God, I trust that your way is better than my way. And Lord, I trust that when I was walking the broad path to destruction, you plucked me up. Church, do not add or subtract from the word of the living God, not by what you read or by what you say or by even what you live. We need to be people of gospel integrity. And then John ends all of Scripture in verse 20. He who testifies about these things says, Yes, I, I am coming soon. I think that's John's way of saying, you heard, it, you heard it correctly the first time. Jesus is coming soon. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with everyone. Amen. Amen. Isn't that a fitting last word for the entire Bible? So now, if you ever are on Jeopardy, and they ask you, what is the final word in all of the Bible? You could say, the question is, Amen. This reminds us that there should be a response to the grace of Jesus Christ in our life. This is a call to worship. And how fitting, too. That John expresses his desire that God's grace, the grace of our Lord Jesus be with everyone. Amen. Because it is Yahweh's grace that enables us to obey the word of the Lord. How does Revelation end? By pointing us back to what is first. That Jesus invites us to know him and to be faithful to him. To all who have followed Christ, the Spirit calls us to shout, Maranatha, Lord, come. Are you ready? Are you ready for that day? What if that day was today? I can't wait. I'm poking holes in my gift right now. Say, Lord, I don't know what it's going to look like. And even, even if we knew, that wouldn't do it justice. Lord, come quickly. This should be the way that we respond as Christians. With joy and expected hearts. If you've never given your life to Christ, would you do so today? I pray that this message creates anxiety and worry in your life. And you say, well, I don't want God to come. I'm not ready. God wants you to be ready. That's why He took the first step towards you. That while you were a sinner, Jesus died. You see, God doesn't wait for you to clean your act up to offer you the new life. Jesus says, sinner, if you would come to me, I will clean you up. I will take what is filthy and wash you. I will take what is dark and give you light. What a great God we have. May the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. Amen.
Let's pray. Father.